You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Galatians 4, 21. Uh, last week we saw Paul's uh, deep personal interest in the Galatians' spiritual well-being, right? We saw three ways that he showed this example. Uh, well, one of the three ways was by his example. He said, become as I am, not as a prideful little Jesus snob, all right? He meant as a rejecter of self-righteousness and a receptor of God's grace. Paul, in effect, says, I didn't run out of the law into God's grace so that you could run out of God's grace into the law. Let's not swap places here, right? Then he gave him some encouragement. He said, you know, you're different. You're, you're caring, you're loving, you're kind. You said you would have, you would have guide, uh, gouged your eyes out for me. You know, we believe he had poor eyesight. And then Paul exposes the opposition. The Galatians may have been acting kind, but they were really opposed to Paul and the gospel because of the influence of the Judaizers who were opposed to the Galatians. And so Paul, in effect, says it's like you Galatians have become spiritual children all over again. That's why he says in Galatians 4.19, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. One pastor says uh, our little kids step on our toes when they're small, but when they're full grown, they step on our hearts, right? And Paul had his heart stepped on, right? And the gospel integrity had its heart stepped on as well. And so Paul's trying to defend that. So back in Galatians chapter three, Paul had started an argument. I don't know if you, you remember that many messages ago. I barely do. But in the Galatians three, we started a conversation about Abraham and he went back to the law of Abraham. And so he's been talking and breaking down arguments ever since uh, uh, Galatians three. Now he's going to swing back full circle to these two bloodlines. All right. Two covenants, two family trees with one gigantic fork in the road. All right. And I believe the scripture today will show us which fork to take. All right. Like Yogi Berra said when he came, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter four, verse 21. Uh, these are the words of God, more important than anything else I'm going to say today. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, you do not listen to the law. No, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman one by a free woman. By the son of the slave was born uh, according to the flesh, while the son of the free was, woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One's from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now Hagar's Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it's written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I know it's 
kind of a complicated passage, but I hope to, we can make sense of it today. Kevin Kiros, would you come and ask God's blessings on the message? Thank you, Kevin. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much um, for this opportunity that we can gather together to worship you and to learn about you. I pray, Father, that we would lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. I pray, Father, that we would set aside distractions and that we would focus um, our hearts on you. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we might see, hear, and understand your word. I pray that you would be with wind and that he would faithfully preach your word. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Kevin. All right. Paul begins this section by saying the words, tell me, tell me something good. All right. Some of y'all know that song. It's, it's, this word is from the Greek word lego, and it originally meant lay down to sleep. All right. Don't be legoing during my message today. All right. It later came to mean laying an argument to rest. Right. Lego, ironically, <laughs> bringing a message to closure. And so Paul asked the Judaistic Galatian Gentiles a question that would have kind of had to have the answer yes. You know, they, there's no way they could have said no to this question. Y'all folk like history, he says. Y'all, y'all, y'all like the law, don't you? Well, well, yeah, we kind of strap our lives to this law thing. You know, yeah, we like the law. Well, he says, sit down. Sit down right there and let me tell you a little story about a split in the old family tree. And that's what he's doing, all right? And so he begins with the history of the split in the family tree, Galatians 4.22. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, right? One by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. So, Paul uses this word allegory. It's the Greek word allegorio. It's from two words, allos meaning another, and uh, agorio, which means to speak. So, it literally means to speak another deeper applicable message in addition to the plain and truthful message of the story itself. And this isn't new. Jesus did this uh, when he would look at true stories of Adam, uh, Jonah, and the well, Noah's Ark, even the temple. And he showed them as types or symbols of things that were to come. You know, almost like a parable. He had to explain the parable. There were, there were deeper meanings. They were real, but had a deeper meaning, like wedding rings or like an allegory, all right? My wedding ring's real, has some level of decorative value, all right? But it, it represents something much deeper, a covenant, all right? And, and church, to be clear, some scholars, including John MacArthur, don't even believe there are any allegories in Scripture uh, because in the strictest sense, an allegory is based on fiction. And of course, we don't believe that Jonah is fiction. Jesus didn't. We don't believe the stories in the Old Testament are false, we just mean there's a deeper meaning to them, all right? Uh, one, uh, one scholar said, the use of the allegory does not deny the historical reality of the event, events of Genesis. There's a true allegory here, but it's in addition to the historicity of the narrative, not in place of it. Meeting the family trees, Abraham, uh, Isaac, Ishmael, those are real stories, 
but Paul shows a deeper meaning to them. So by showing this split in the family tree, Paul's going to make an allegorical application of what that means for the Galatians and for us today. All right. And to explain what Paul's talking about, uh, I'm going to actually travel back further than Abraham. All right. Further than even Adam and Eve. And it's through this uh, chart up here on the screen. I'll, I'll reference this in just a minute. But I, this is the first split ever. All right. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, originally speaking about Babylon, says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Verse 20, may the offspring of evildoers nevermore be named. There's one bloodline. Now, I believe this story of Babylon's prideful unbelief being punished is also a picture of Satan being cast out of heaven before the world began. Uh, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent out the 70, some translations say 72. Luke chapter 10 verse 17 says, the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? Now, whether you believe Isaiah is a reference to that or not, doesn't matter that the things represented in that passage of Babylon are the nature of the serpent, right? And um, Jesus is referencing this different undefeated bloodline, bloodline number two. So just like this chart up here says, there's the spirit of the serpent, spirit of the, the devil, and the spirit of God. So Galatians 4.21 is talking about two different bloodlines, all right? Now, after the fall of Satan, we have the fall of mankind. The split kind of kept going. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and curses fell on them and on the devil. One of those curses was in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between you, the devil, and the woman and between, here's the two offsprings, between your offspring, seed of the serpent, and her offspring, seed of woman. Two bloodlines. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, right? It's the first mention of the Savior to come. Some people call it the proto-euangelion, proto meaning first, euangelion meaning gospel. So this is the first mention, allusion to Jesus, Jesus' coming, the, go the gospel, right? Jesus would bruise Satan's head, that's a fatal wound, but Satan would bruise Christ's heel, which is not a fatal wound, obviously. So just before that, in Genesis chapter three, verse seven, Adam and Eve had tried to take matters into their own hands, just like Satan did. They tried to cover their own sin, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. But remember Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It's like the law of gravity. You don't affect, the law is in effect whether you believe in it or not. There must be the shedding of blood to have forgiveness. And that's why in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. I don't know if y'all realize this, but God killed first. God had to kill animals to clothe mankind. They didn't just die. There was no death before the fall of man. God gave the first sacrifice, I believe. There had to be bloodshed to atone for and forgive their sin. 
Y'all may have heard of something that's called the scarlet thread that runs through the Old Testament. When we're kids, we hear stories about David and Goliath, Joan in the well, Joseph in the coat of many colors. You know, we draw the pictures, maybe even the fire that Elijah called down from heaven. And we draw those Bible story pictures, right? But there's a, and, and, but we don't always really understand how it all makes sense. Each individual story is cool, <laughs> but how does it all weave together? Where well, there's a scarlet thread, which represents the blood that flows from creation all the way to the cross. And it's like a thread that weaves through all those stories to explain uh, God killing the first animals, to explain the tabernacle, which was like the mobile temple, all the sacrifices, and later the permanent temple in Jerusalem, right? All that is like a thread, and it just weaves the Old Testament together to help us make sense of it. Well, these two bloodlines that we're talking about today are, in a similar way, helping us to weave through the history of God's plan for mankind, all right? So just as Satan was cast out of heaven, man and woman were cast out of the garden, but the split didn't stop. And this is basically a physical bloodline that represents an allegory for two spiritual bloodlines, all right? You got Cain on the left saying, let me handle this. By then, I believe with all my heart, every man knew that blood sacrifices were required, but Cain didn't want to do it that way. So he brought veggies to the table. Abel brought a blood sacrifice. He brought the fat from uh, his livestock and he offered a, an acceptable sacrifice. And God even comforted Cain when he didn't accept his sacrifice. It wasn't like he was like casting him out like a mean father. He said, it's gonna be okay, you can do this. But Cain killed Abel, his brother. And then what ha happens? God raised up someone to replace Abel named Seth. And so you have two bloodlines, Seth, Abel and Seth's bloodline, and you have Cain's bloodline. Cain's offspring became increasingly wicked. Generations upon generations later, his great-great-great-grandson, Lamech, is spoken of in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, plural, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. By the way, whenever people start referring to themselves in third person, you know, be weary. It's a sure, sure sign of narcissism. Now your pastor Went will continue. <laughs> I just seen if y'all are awake this morning, I was just gonna see if y'all are awake. All right, Lamech says, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. <laughs> a young man for strife. He just slapped me, but I killed that sucker. If, and he goes on to say, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold, which was a number of completion. Did y'all catch that? I didn't think that Cain killed Abel out of revenge. Did Abel sin against Cain? No. Which means that I believe Cain twisted the truth of Abel's murder to sound like an act of revenge. So all the generations were built after him on lies the lies of a father and a bloodline that would not own up to their sin. Y'all with me? Two bloodlines. Now, I should also tell you that Lamech was the seventh generation from Cain. It, just, it looks like he was the next one, but he wasn't. He, there were seven generations from Cain to Lamech. And there were seven generations from Abel and Seth to who? Enoch. Y'all remember Galatians? 
I mean, uh, Genesis chapter five, there's two different, uh, there's two different uh, genealogies in Genesis, Genesis five and Genesis 11. Genesis five says, verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So Cain's bloodline became prideful murderers in seven generations. Enoch's in seven generations walked with God. Listen, the ESV says the Hebrew verb for walked, as in walked with God, is a distinctive form that conveys the sense of an ongoing intimacy with God. There's your two bloodlines. There's the let me handle this bloodline. And there's the let God handle this bloodline. There's the veggie sacrifice my way bloodline. There's the blood sacrifice God's way bloodline. There's the, serve, the, the striving and impersonal bloodline. And there's the ongoing intimacy with God bloodline. And get this, the other genealogy in Genesis 11 doesn't ever say the words he died, he died. But if you read the genealogy of Genesis 5, over and over it says so-and-so lived so-and-so years and he died. So-and-so lived and he begot so-and-so and he died and he died and he died and he died. All through the genealogy of Genesis 5 until it gets to Enoch. And it says he walked with God. Because why did God put it in that genealogy and not in the other? In Genesis 11, I believe it was to highlight these two bloodlines. You want to do it your way or you want to do it my way? I believe God was showing the distinctions. So back to the family tree uh, on the screen here. You see Noah, and then wouldn't long after Noah got off that ark, gets drunk, Ham commits a sin, veers off course into wickedness and receives curses, and then we work our way down to Abraham, and yet again there's a split in the two bloodlines. My way, bloodline, his way, bloodline. Right? Seed of Satan, seed of the woman. Now, I want to zoom in on one part of that bloodline, and that's the Abraham allegory, which Paul was talking about in Galatians 4.22. But I wanted you to see the whole picture before we did that, right? Galatians 4.22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. All right, so we've seen the history of the split all the way back to Satan's fall. Now we're going to look at the meaning of that split in the family tree. All right, what in the world does all this mean? Uh, Galatians 4.24, two covenants, good grief. Well, remember it's an allegory speaking another deeper message in addition to the plain meaning of the story itself, right? So Abraham's two sons represent two covenants, right? Which figuratively represent the split between the flesh and the promise, the split between the law and the spirit, Galatians 4.23, the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Scholars explain that the flesh represents human desires and principles and the sin that contaminates them. Ishmael was the son born when Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands by trying to perpetuate their family line through Hagar. But the promise is the absolute opposite of the flesh, since it's a word from God to be filled by God, just as Isaac was born by God's miraculous work. And those old parents, 100 years old, you know, Isaac, Ishmael, they're illustrations of two bloodlines, two different births. So the Jews from Judea, a.k.a. Judaizers, had Galatians, these new believing Galatians, thinking that rules and regulations 
just made better God worshipers, right? So Paul uses this illustration, this allegory, this contrast of two wives, Sarah and Hagar, two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, two belief systems, a relationship of grace between God and man, or a religious system chained to the law, and two births, spiritual birth and a physical one, right? Galatians 4.24, one, uh, one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she's in slavery with her children. Right? And the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. What? Right? This just means that Hagar, Ishmael, and Mount Sinai, remember Mount Sinai was where God gave the law to Moses, so it represents the law, all right? They're an illustration of earthly Jerusalem, right? They represent the law, they represent the flesh. They represent my way. Sarah, Isaac, in this story they do, just to be clear, right? In Galatians they do, all right? On the other side, you have Sarah, Isaac, and the Jerusalem above, which represent grace, the spirit, and the promise, hoping in the promise to come. And just to reiterate, Paul's not saying in the Old Testament you could get saved by doing good works, and in the New Testament it's grace alone. It was always grace. As a matter of fact, Abraham's an example of that in Genesis 15, verse 6, which, where it says of Abraham, his faith, not works of the law, were counted unto him as righteousness, right? Then it goes on to say the Jeruz that Jerusalem above is our mother. That just means that our bloodline... For all followers of Jesus, everyone who's called on the name of the Lord, your bloodline is not of this world. Paul's saying no Christian was ever birthed by mother law. We were birthed by mother grace, right? There's a physical, natural birth as sinners, and there's a spiritual, supernatural birth as God's children. If you're born again, that was a supernatural thing that happened. You didn't come to that on your own. <laughs> You didn't wake up one morning and think, ah, I got this, right? God helped you got this, right? Get this. Physical and spiritual. One is according to the flesh, one's according to the promise. Church, let me just ask you, which are you? Which bloodline are you? Which, are we a people of the flesh? Or are we a people of the promise? And don't answer that too quickly without some probing questions, right? What determines the choices you make in your home? Is it just based on human logic? Is it just based on the government's decisions? Is it just based on interest rates or, you know, what's it based on? What's your decision based on? Which school is best? Is it just by the one that offers the sport your kid like? I mean, what is, you know, there's gotta be more to it. What determines this? Is fleshly thought prioritized over the promise? Do you run to God first? or to Google <laughs> to get your answers. Which way do you want your generations to go? You want them to follow the flesh or you want them to follow the promise? The story of Sarah and Hagar, of Isaac and Ishmael, they are true, but they are in their, within their bloodlines, there's deeper truths to be gleaned. And so now we turn to the application of what we learn from the family split. Right. What, what's all this mean for me? 
it's a lot discombobulated. It's just all crazy sounding, you know, mother, whatever. And, you know, what does all that mean for me? Well, first, it means that we need a heavenly outlook. I think that's one of the things Paul's trying to tell them. The world is not our home. We were not born here. We are not citizens of the United States. Whoa, watch, watch out, Pastor. All right. Our physical bodies may have been born here. Our earthly allegiance may be to this country. I got no problem with being a nationalist. I'm a nationalist. I believe that people wherever they live should be into the country they live in, you know? This is the country I was born in. I love this country. But we are citizens of another eternal country. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their, they glory in their shame. That sounds like the evening news to me now, right? Their minds are set on earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, that's my boss. Now I submit to other people, other authorities. I have no problem with that, but that's, that's who determines <laughs> my life. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you, if you're born again, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the, of God. I've been, y'all know, we're a family of God. We're fellow citizens. Hey, I love Tennessee. <laughs> I've loved everywhere God's taken us. David Livingston is a famous explorer and, uh, and missionary. Uh, he was originally wanting to go to China and he ended up in, uh, anyway, he, uh, he ended up in Africa and he, his heart is literally buried there. His, his body is buried in Westminster Abbey, but they buried his heart under a banyan tree, uh, or I, I believe it was a banyan tree there. And so uh, a lot of missionaries, when Vicky and I served overseas in India, you know, we all knew that story. But I would tell them, I say, listen, I'm not David Livingston. If I die, you better drag my dead limp body back to Tennessee and put me in Tennessee dirt, right? <laughs> so I love my, I love Tennessee. That being said, I do not belong to Tennessee or to the United States. They don't own me. They didn't give birth to me. I was born here, but Tennessee and the USA ain't my mama. All right? Now, I got more news for you. My Sherry Fox is my biological mother, and she did spiritually help guide me to the cross, but I, she's not my mom. Grace is my mother. I mean, you know, in a, in a figurative sense. The Lord God, right? We, when we lived in India, uh, Isaiah was born there. He got a long birth certificate, you know. And uh, so it took us a couple months to get all the paperwork to go uh, to get him out of the country. You know, it's, believe it or not, there are some good rules around to, to cut down on trafficking and things like that. And so uh, we had to go over to this bulletproof building called the U.S. Consulate in Mumbai. We had to go in there and we lined up at what it looked like the equivalent of a DMV with bulletproof glass and the clerk was behind the counter and we brought our little baby up there and 
gave him all the paperwork and he, you know, the guy looked at, he had a computer pulled up, you know, he's sitting at the computer and he's looking at the paper. And uh, he looks at Isaiah, looks at Vicky, looks at me, looks at Isaiah. He said, well, you are now a U.S. citizen. Click. I was like, well, doggone, that's kind of scary. You know, uh, you know, listen, Isaiah wasn't born here in America. In fact, he, he was a U.S. citizen before he even stepped foot in the U.S., which is a beautiful picture of us as followers of Christ. I ain't been to, I ain't stepped foot in heaven yet, all right? Now, coconut cake on a Sunday afternoon, that's close, but like, I mean, we weren't born to Abraham, but we're his sons, right? We don't deserve heaven, but that's exactly where every believer in here was born. You were born in the heart and mind of God. Y'all understand that? Y'all will take your salvation seriously when you know where you came from. <laughs> you came from heaven. Galatians 4, 27. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate will be more than those of the one who has a husband. What does that mean? Is that promoting premarital sex? What is that? That just sounds creepy, pastor. You know? No. It's a perfect quote for Paul to use here because it's from Isaiah 54 verse 1 and it references Israel and the city of Jerusalem being desolate. But there was hope, right? If you keep reading that passage he quoted from in Isaiah 54 down in verse 11, it says, O afflicted ones, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will lay your foundations with sapphires. And he goes on about how beautiful it'll look. Verse 12, all your walls of precious stones, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children in righteousness you shall be established. So the desolate people of Galatians chapter four, verse 27 are the Galatian Gentiles, right? Church, this should send chills down their spine and ours. Because even back then, the number of Gentile Christians outnumbered the Jewish Christians. Did y'all get that? This chosen nation is now outnumbered and it has been ever since. Have y'all ever thought about that? There are more Gentile Christians than there are Jewish Christians. Now that's not a slight to Jewish people who are still coming to faith. But it should have been an encouragement to those Galatian Gentiles who saw themselves as inferior to them. The desolate Gentiles have more children than the married Jewish Judaizers. How's that for a heavenly outlook? Two bloodlines. Verse 28, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. You're not just true children of Abraham. You're children of promise, birthed in heaven itself. All right? Praise God. But hey, there's one more application. It was a heavenly outlook, but it was also a heavy outlook. Galatians 4.29 says, He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So also it is now. Meaning, you know, let me just keep reading verse 30. But what, what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free. Now the Galatians must have been thinking at this point, boy, those Judaizers left a few things out in their training. <laughs> the one, you know, in their conversion of them back to the law. There's a lot they weren't telling them. Ishmael was a picture of his parents' lack of faith. And his descendants, the Arab nations, right, have been 
persecuting Isaac's descendants, the Jews, ever since, generally speaking. All right? And unbelievers, by the way, have been persecuting believers since Satan persecuted Eve and tempted her, since Cain killed Abel. And even now this is happening. Right? I just got word this week that a guy that I discipled in South Asia that's partnered with a local church here in town, that a team that went over there uh, was the, some of the national Indians were beaten when they went out to share the gospel. This is really more rare than you think in South Asia. I just got word of this in the last two days. Everyone's okay. The Americans are okay. Don't be scared. Those of you that are going to South Asia with me at the end of October, well, the Lord will protect us. But it's just fighting. Believer, unbelievers fighting believers. Jesus even spoke with Pharisees about splits in the family tree in John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. He's our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. There's the bloodline of Satan, <laughs> the devil. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. That's a little jab at Mary, you know, because she got pregnant. And everyone had to physically assume that it was out of adultery, but it wasn't. We have one father, even God. These are the Judaizers, right? They're the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. Just like Cain lying to his children, calling his murder of Abel revenge. Verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. People are still doing it today. Every cult and false religion is based on lies. Now to be clear, children of Ishmael throughout history, the Arab nations have trusted Christ. There are tons of believing Arabs. Matter of fact, they would lay down their lives more than most people in this room for their faith, right? And people of Isaac, the Jews, there are Jews who don't trust Christ, obviously, and vice versa. There's Arabs who trust and don't. There's, you know, so that's not the point he's trying to make here, right? This is an illustration. And he applies it to the unbelieving Judaizers who are persecuting the believing Galatians, just like Hagar. Remember Genesis 16, 4? After having Ishmael, she looked with contempt on her mistress, right? That's why Paul quotes Genesis 21, 10, cast out the slave woman, meaning those who try to earn their way to heaven by keeping the law are actually going to be the ones that are cast out. That's his point. That's his illustration going all the way back in this genealogy. Church, God promised Abraham and Sarah a son in Genesis chapter 12, first, those first three verses there. But listen, he waited a quarter of a century to give it. Now, I don't know all the reasons in heaven why he did that, but I believe with all my heart one of them was so that Isaac's birth, like our salvation, would be seen as the work of God alone and nothing else. There's nothing better than a testimony 
of God's work. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than staring at a picture of something that's happened and going, <laughs> I mean, God, God did that. I was, there was a couple in my church that, I, that, uh, that talked to me about their own testimony. And every turn in their life, I was just blessed by them because they just kept saying, this is where God led us. This is where God led us. This may not have been what we wanted, perfect scenario for us, but this is what God wanted. They saw God, they saw God in their decision-making. Sarah's, Sarah's barrenness is applied to the law. Isaac's birth is applied to grace, right? Two bloodlines. One of those bloodlines says, I did it my way, right? This, let me handle this. And the other bloodline says, you know what? I can't handle this. I've got to give it to God. Which bloodline you want to be? You got a choice. Would you stand? Father God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you that you have revealed to us yourself. You've revealed yourself to all mankind, you say in Romans 1 and Psalm 19. But Lord, you've spoken to us this morning from your word, and I pray that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears, that if there's anyone in here that needs to cry out to God, that they would trust in you today. Lord, they can be part of your bloodline by adoption. We all, as Christians, are. You've adopted us as sons, heirs to this promise. We believe it's coming. We look around the world today and we think it might be coming today, right? And so, Father, we just pray. I pray. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, they just cry out to you. Not with some perfect little chintzy prayer, but with a heart that's broken about their sin and ready for you to forgive it. That's it. It's not complicated. Satan likes to make salvation so complex. Oh, it's so difficult. No, it's not. It's brokenness granted by Christ in the heart of mankind that wants to cry out to Jesus. We'll cry out to him and be saved. For those that are not members of our church, but have been coming faithfully, I pray, Lord, if there are people that need to step down the aisle and be members and plug in to the ministries of our church and serve through their local church, I pray they would. They do that now, Lord. Whatever our decisions are that you would have us, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same way we entered it, but we would have communed with you. We would have talked to you. We'd have done some real legitimate spiritual business in our hearts. I pray we do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.